Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Bedrock City Presents Uncanny Universe Podcast. And on this week's episode, we are talking about an angry black girl and her monster, a new Shudder original horror film uh, that just came out. And we've done, we talked about the trailer a few weeks back. But anyway, we're yep. going to get this thing going. Hey, everyone, this is Dylan. And I'm Michael. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so we've got the, the, the new movie to talk about uh, and uh, way in the back at segment three. Uh, but don't worry, we won't spoil it until we get there. Uh, we do have a special treat for you this week. We have a, an uncanny interview, as you probably saw in the episode description, um, coming up in segment two. So stay tuned for that uh, interview with Cassandra Jones, editor, editor of Let Her Be Evil, upcoming uh, graphic novel anthology. But before we get to any of that, Dylan, what you got? What kind of news? All right. All right. We got we got some news this week, okay? Um, I was thinking yeah, about doing... It is light, but there's like, so there's this book that came out, Michael. I'm thinking about reading it, but also not. It's called uh, MCU, The Reign of Marvel Studios. Have you heard about this? No. So like someone, I, I saw it advertised and I thought it looked kind of lame. Like, you know, the like dumb tell all, like the Marvel books at Barnes and Noble that are just to like, yes, sell something. But like, this is, it there's looks like pictures of, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or those magazines. I thought it was kind of like more along those lines, but this is like a novel kind of uh, depicting Marvel from the beginning, Marvel Studios from the beginning to current and like the behind the scenes. And they've done like tons of interviews with past and present employees at Marvel. And there's like a lot of tea and dirt in it, you know? Interesting. Um, So I was thinking about like at some point, maybe I could just add a story each week or something like that because it's like an insane amount of tea. But I, that sounds um, great. That's exactly what you want, though. Yeah. Yeah. There's some good stuff. Um, Like why people are fired, who's happy, who isn't, that kind of stuff. Oh, wow. Um, okay. So, like, so we also need that for the DCU, though. Like, I, I need to know all the cyborg drama. Oh, yeah. I'd love that. We've been saying that forever, though. Like, there was one. This isn't the one I'm talking about, but there's one with they're talking to Nicole Perlman, who wrote the first Guardians movie, but she was kicked off the second and third. Um, okay. But she wrote the first one before James Gunn uh, had edits on it. But she threw a F James Gunn party at, when the movie wow. released because he was trying to apparently there the whole time he was fighting tooth and nail to have her removed from the writers list because he wanted to be the sole writer on it. Okay. So he was like really trying to get her get her name oh, so kicked this, off the credits. This is definitely Drama City. That's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. Fun. I think you gotta I think you gotta get it and keep us updated, Dylan. Yeah, we'll do it. Um, but one that I thought was interesting, I included it here because it's one that we talked about like as kind of maybe a rumor when um, Victoria Alonso was fired earlier this year. Yes. She was the president of Marvel's uh, uh, physical and post-production and VFX and animation production for all the MCU stuff. She was there for 16 years. She was suddenly fired uh, earlier this year. Um, and we kind of speculated as to why, but it seems like now we know for sure through you know interviews and yes and stuff like that um i'll read a little bit from the book it says uh alonzo had broken one of feige's cardinal rules don't speak out publicly against the company um this is in regards to her talking about the florida don't don't say gay bill and oh, kind of wanting okay. disney to do more there um it says a source close to the matter said that uh, later that year, Feige suggested to Alonzo that she had outgrown her role at Marvel. Um, he reportedly cautioned her to keep her head down and to do the work. So this isn't to say that he was like politically leaning one way or the other. He was just like, we don't 
talk about that stuff publicly, you know? Interesting. Yeah. Um, and then in early 2023, this is what we talked about a little bit. Um, Alonso, Victoria uh, refused to act on Marvel Studios' request to remove LGBT pride symbols from Quantumania um, from foreign markets, specifically a scene with Scott walking down the street in San Francisco and there's a pride flag in one of the windows, something like that, mm-hmm. as you would see in San Francisco, you know? Right. Like, I mean, um, that, for, that's not yeah. out of place. Yeah. Um, for foreign markets, meaning overseas where... Sure. Yeah. We know, th- you know how the editing works, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, they said the atmosphere of the studio was tense. The department uh, of yes, that said no. Uh, Diaz Pasito, which is um, her boss, he says, it says he outsourced VFX work anyway, and she saw it uh, as a betrayal. So she's in charge of VFX, but her boss went through another studio and had them sure. remove it anyway, even though she refused wow. to do it. So after that, then she got fired. So. Sure. Okay. It's just interesting to see the conf- like the confirmation of the That's interesting. It's I mean stuff that we speculated on of course, but that is interesting that you're getting that level of detail from from the book. That sounds really interesting. I'm going to send you there's like a bullet point article with all the all the mm-hmm. stuff. It's really interesting. All the tea. Um, yeah, I want to read that. All the tea. Yeah. Um this one is just kind of like a cast announcement situation. I don't know if we've talked about the boy and the heron, but it's I don't the think Studio so. Ghibli uh final film from a oh my god i'm drawing a blank yeah yeah his final film i know that's happened before i was like he's had one of those before i saw (laughs) that's happened before but that's happening again uh okay the final vinyl film uh it's coming out i think it's already released overseas but it's coming out december 8th here with some pre-screenings that sounds right november something like that um and the 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 dub has really popped off michael this added to the dub um Okay, well, the first one I think is a kid. It's uh the main character is Luca Padovan, Padovan. I don't know. Um, okay, but he's also joined by Robert Pattinson, Christian Bale. So we got two Batmans. Oh wow, Gemma Chan, um, Karen Fukuhara, which was she's in The Boys and uh, other stuff. I don't know. Okay, wow. Was she, um, Florence Pugh, Dave Bautista, oh. <laughs> Willem Dafoe, Mark Hamill. Okay. Um, Are they, right? they they really busted the budget on this thing? Yeah, uh, I feel like with this movie, you just kind of have to ask, and they actors will say yes. Okay, right. Karen Fukuhara was. Uh, this is Katana. Okay. You know her, yeah. Yes. It, it's not Katana. It's this is Katana. Yes, of um, course. But I'm very excited about this movie. Are you? Is this on your radar at all, Michael? Are you looking forward? No, to it, or... it wasn't on my radar at all. I mean, I haven't seen the last couple of, of Ghibli movies. Um, I do like them. I just haven't, it's not something I get hyped for and they always run super limited. They never, it's weird because in, I guess, cause we're in like that circle where studio Ghibli is a very popular thing. Cause we work at a comic book store, but mm-hmm. I guess in the mainstream, it is not suitable for AMC to have it running for a month and a half on you know, two screens or something like that, you know? Yeah. I mean, maybe these days it, it'll get more. Well, this one's like, this one's a bigger deal because it's getting the wide release treatment and it's his latest movie since 20, the wind rises in 2013 and Ponyo before that in 2008. So it's not like, you know, a common occurrence. Yeah. I feel like the Miyazaki of it 
adds like the prestige. It'll get like best animated feature, I'm sure, nominated. But I agree with you. It does kind of sometimes it goes a little under the radar because it's unceremonious the way it releases overseas before we get it, which is how the rest of the world feels, I'm sure. But yeah, um, when it happens to us, it's not cool, Michael. It's not. It's not okay. It's not okay. We deserve well, everything I mean, first. We get the microcosm of that, like you know, when things are released here, but in limited markets, like well, that's not Houston. Yeah, we're not getting right. it. New York and L.A. And then if it's Texas, it will be in Dallas. I mean, uh, Austin. Disrespectful. Houston's last. It's crazy. Um, yeah. it, with the Texas cities, but I'm sure we'll talk more about this movie. Um, Definitely, it'll be coming out soon. Um, we've talked a bit about the avatar the last airbender netflix adaptation i'm having i'm feeling a lot of inner turmoil about it i don't know how to feel still um especially after watching one piece uh so where are you at on on one piece did you like one piece live action or did you not i don't feel like i'm hearing very mixed things about it some people seem to really like it and some people don't i can confidently confidently say you wouldn't like it okay Um, cool feel very strongly about that um (laughs) I don't know if it's if it's like a safe space, but uh, I don't like that. I don't. I actually really dislike the anime. Okay, I've seen D- it, Dylan. I'm offended. Not you, but in general, I feel like One Piece is like very highly regarded. So oh, it definitely I is. I mean, it's the longest running manga. So, yeah, I mean, people love it. It's just go- too goofy for me. Um, the tone is is kind of weird. I get that. I don't really care about the story, and um, but it adapted it well and that it kept the same like tone unlike maybe it adapted most of the it too other... well that's why okay. i don't like it <laughs> you know unlike most of the other um yeah like call death no live action and... right yeah so yeah i just didn't like i didn't like the live action one either i'm sorry that's okay i don't know what to say but i i'm i'm allowing it but this one's a little bit different because it's not a anime in my opinion, Avatar. It's a okay. American animated show, so like it's a whole different set of rules, in my opinion. Um, but they have released some stills. We talked about the stills for the principal cast members before when those came out. Yeah, and now they've. I think you can see it in my um, article list here. But now they've released some stills for the Fire Nation people. Okay, and. The Fire Nation, Michael. I already, you know all this already. Um, it's the, oh, of course, they're, they're the villains of the show. Um, so we've gotten a look at Fire Lord Ozai. He's played by Daniel Day Kim. Uh, General uh, Iroh, Commander Zhao, Princess Azula. Well, will probably only appear for a second, and Prince Zuko. Um, the four fire people. Yeah. Um, I see the kind images. Of, this is, yeah, this is like advertising something that Netflix is doing called geek to week which is a multi-day event that begins on november 6th and concludes on november 12th which is basically them releasing things for anime superhero stuff you know sure. what I mean? geek stuff but i'm interested to know as a not fan i know you don't dislike avatar but as not a like a super right, fan, I'm, not, what right, you, I'm not a die, die hard do these images like do anything for you or one um, way or the other i think they look pretty good in terms of accuracy it looks like what i would I imagine people want. Um, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Like, I think it looks good. Uh, do, do I care? Not particularly, but I think it looks, it looks like it, it looks expensive. 
looks like they spent yeah. money on it, I should say. That's my biggest takeaway is it looks it doesn't look like as cosplay as some of these other right anime adaptations. It definitely is not these outfits and, and sets are not super faithful, which I prefer. I think animation and live action is just so different. You can't if you do something that simple in live action, it looks funky. It looks like Party City or Spirit Halloween, you know? So these are a lot more right. intricate and elaborate and like I think the lighting looks good. It's there's not a lot to go on, but I it's like another promising update. The negative okay. update being um that the original creators left the show due to creative differences. So that's a little worrying, but that's definitely uh suboptimal. But it's it's looking better than M Night Shyamalan. Okay, I can call. Well, I mean, that's not a that's that's not a high bar. But the I'm, actors aren't white, so that's good. I'm I'm expecting this to be decent, and to, and to probably get a better reception than One Piece. I hope so. So far, so good. Anyway, um, okay. Last thing, we got a like a new trailer, but it was kind of a, kind of. a weird. It was kind of a weird trailer for. Uh, is whether they called it a trailer anyway, but um, for your Yorgos Lantimos's yes, uh, you have to say it like that. Poor Yorgos. things, which is the Emma Stone, um, Mark Ruffalo Frankenstein movie. Is that how you would describe it? Yeah. Yep. Oh, I mean, it's on brand with today's episode. Absolutely thematic. Um, Emma Stone plays Bella Baxter, and she's speaking out in the trailer. Like Emma Stone is talking in the trailer about how she fits into the like surreal steampunk inspired world and. Right. It's critically acclaimed so far. It's opened at some festivals. It's got a 97%, Michael. Like, it's looking okay. good. But I put it here because I watched the trailer and I thought, like, a, min- a little over a minute. But I thought it gave us, like, the best, if it's accurate, look yet at what the tone is for the movie. I thought yes. it was, like, really funny, which is what I was surprised by. It, yeah, I didn't realize it was going to be so funny, which I'm excited about. I think this looks awesome. I think this this is this is a great kind of a trailer to get where it tells you it doesn't tell you too much about the plot, but it tells you the vibe of the movie. Yeah. Which and is exactly is like, what you want. Agreed. Yeah. I like that it's been a little silly, goofy, like the favorite, right. you know, it's one of my other favorite Yorgos movies. Uh, That's correct. Will this get nominated for Best Picture, Michael? When's Call it coming it out? Uh, next couple months. It's yes. Oscar season. Yes. I think I mean, it will too. His last one did. Yeah. So definitely, everyone everyone loves Yorgos Lantimos. We all love him. Now they do. I know they're not old school stands like us, Dylan. Where were they during Killing of a Sacred Deer? Yeah, for real. I have the print I'm a on new my, fan on my wall. I consider myself a new fan. I've been here since the Lobster. Okay, I I think so. I don't know what my first one was, but I definitely was here with his English. Uh, yeah, I, ne- I never world. saw it. I wasn't, I'm um, not that old school. I, I didn't see Dogtooth until later. I have to be honest. Thank you for being so brave. Yeah, um, I know. It's, it's what I'm here for. I assume we'll talk about poor things or review it. Definitely. Maybe, if nothing definitely. else happens. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's this it's Frankenstein. It's on brand. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. But that's all my news I got this week. All right. Well, let's hear about that live sale. I bet you didn't know that we host a weekly live streaming comic sale. Dust off your old Facebook account or borrow your grandma's login. Join us every Wednesday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Central. 
Bedrock City is the only verified blue check comic store on Facebook, meaning we're better than everyone else. It also means that we're trusted to bring you brand new quality key issues, comic bundles, variants, and more every week at super affordable prices. Even if you've already spent all your money on Fortnite skins like me, you can still join just to hang out and chat comics with Kevin Austin and me. For all the details not covered here, or if your auditory processing disorder didn't allow you to comprehend anything I just said, head over to bedrockcity.com live to read all the details. Hashtag ad. And we are back. And before we get to our review, as as promised at the top of the show, we've got a uh, an interview for you today, an uncanny interview, if you will, um, with Cassandra Jones, the editor of Let Her Be Evil, the new, uh, the upcoming graphic novel anthology that's currently crowdfunding on Zoop. Bedrock City has backed it, uh, so we're super excited about it, and we're excited to bring this interview to you. So check it out. Welcome, everyone, to another Uncanny Interview. Today, we're talking to Cassandra Jones, the editor of the upcoming graphic novel anthology, Let Her Be Evil, currently crowdfunding on Zoop. Cassandra, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're super happy to have you on. Um, I, we're always excited to get creators on, especially ones who you know, are crowdfunding and aren't having mm-hmm. the, the traditional publishing um, focus. Experience. You know, somebody... Yeah. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> And so I wanted you, if you could tell us, uh, cause you still have what, 18 days or so left. Uh, how many days left? You you have a bit of time uh, left in your 16, 16. 16 yeah. Left. As a time of this recording. So they're very cool. So there's still some time for people to hop on. Um, so I was curious if you could tell us a little bit about let her be evil. Right. Uh, well, let her be evil is a comic anthology covering 17 stories of female villainesses who are allowed to, become their most evil selves and go after their most evil desires without being punished by the narrative and being expected to be some sort of moral paragon that we oftentimes expect women in our in our stories to be. So it, the goal was to provide that that space and that breathing room for creators to tell stories like that. That sounds really cool actually. So yeah. like it's a it's you're going for like the an, an empowerment angle but not a uh or what do you what, what, what how would you say it like like you're going for a inclusion but not the traditional way that's super cool like not having to go to the mold that like every other thing is doing yeah exactly and i think what's interesting about it is there's it's not that there aren't characters like the ones that are in Letter Be Evil out and about in the world, I just think they're really difficult to find. And that's what makes anthologies great is you can go to them, whether it's like a sci-fi one or a horror one, and you're like, this is going to be all sci-fi. This is going to be all horror. I love that. And this is this is going to be all women who, you know, take what they want, get what they want, are awful, and I'm into that. Let's do it. 
um, without, you know, being worried about, you know, in the, in the last quarter, uh, someone comes in and they're like, I only did this because my late husband and my dead child, um, (laughs) or whatever. And then be like, no, why you were so awesome and cool. Why do we have to like, why do we ruin it? This random backstory. Yeah, exactly. So you're safe. That won't happen to you and let her be evil. I love that. That's, that's, that's really, that's really awesome. Cause I, I can yeah. tell you from, from literature, I've found some of my most favorite stories and writers from buying compilations of short stories, even very famous writers. Like I found Clive Barker through a book of short fiction, who is a very mm-hmm. famous writer, but I read him in a book of compiled short fiction. So the editor mm-hmm. always has such like a crazy amount of work on their shoulders for for this so i was going to ask is there any like specific challenges that you face with the application how like did people apply to do this how did you find so many people yeah well i put out a call to submission on twitter um and this was before twitter started having its meltdown um so (laughs) there are a lot of artists and creators and writers um still on the platform and it kind of just took off. I had some people on the, on the, you know, on my side that uh, I knew just, you know, through friendships and relationships and things like that, that reposted it. And because they had a following, their following saw it, and then they reposted it and sort of in a social media tumbleweed kind of way, it became pretty popular. It, it, it grew a little bit more than I was expecting, actually. Um, on day one, actually, I was I was really sad because I I spent the whole day plastering Boston with the like printed out version of of the call to submission and was walking oh, around cool. with my packing tape and I spent all day and I was really tired my feet hurt and I'm like no one's gonna want to do it why did I do that and then the next day I think it had like eighty thousand views or something ridiculous so that's awesome yeah that was really surprising and super incredible to see and I think I'm still kind of shocked by the response to this to this day that's cool um i was kind of wondering about the process with all the creators and stuff and your role with it it said that you've um assembled like 47 writers artists letter or something like that mm-hmm. and um I was wondering it's a lot how... of people i i guess yeah. um that not a lot of other anthologies have that many people involved uh but i think because i had so many stories uh, 17 stories each story needs a writer and a letterer and an artist and sometimes mm-hmm. a colorist and then all of a sudden you know you you start to add up um but essentially my role was a lot of people came um to let her be evil as individual creators so I spent time pairing people up and that was how I accepted people as well so if I felt like a certain artist style fit better with a piece but there are you know like let's say there was like someone incredibly amazing but like their style didn't make sense to me for anything like I didn't accept them or you know Mm -hmm. whatever not to say that the creators on this aren't incredible because they are but I definitely had that in mind when pairing pieces I think only like two pieces came to me with the team completed and I paired up everyone else so there are sort of those aesthetic considerations that you're making in the very beginning as well as you know are the stories good are the stories what I intend for this anthology so they could have been fun and pithy and entertaining but maybe they didn't you know weren't hitting the kinds of notes that I was looking for and then basically a whole production process started in February where I reviewed scripts with the writers and then we went to thumbs with the artists and you know thumbs to pencils to inks and then it was usually passed on to a colorist most teams didn't you know most artists didn't color it themselves 
And then the colorist had rounds of review where they would do their pages and I would give them feedback and we'd make changes, so on and so forth. And then, yeah, and then you pass it on to the letterer. The letterer does their stuff. You, you know, make any final changes you have to dialogue, catch those last minute missing periods and apostrophes and ellipses or whatever. And and then, you know, it's done. You have your final files. And right now I'm that's where I'm at. Uh, I have almost all of the final files. Three stories are waiting on that last come back from the letterer and then I send them to a, a layout specialist uh, because that is not me. <laughs> um, <laughs> he is he is laying them out uh, for me and uh, we should have a final file ready to go or just about ready to go to printer by the time that the campaign ends, which is um, November 9th. Amazing. Yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, okay. I guess I had like a little bit of a follow-up with it with your... Um when you were collaborating with everyone, like what kind of was like your headspace with balancing, letting them have their creative vision, but also like making sure they adhered to the overall thesis and theme of the anthology? Right. Well, I think a lot of the writers that I accepted got it. And that's why I ended up choosing their piece. So it wasn't as much cat and mouse as you might imagine trying to keep them on topic because their stories were already there. And so okay. it was more nailing the art and things that came along with the story and, and making those little fidgets with the dialogue to improve on clarity um, and getting their message across about whatever it was that their villainess was doing um, rather than being like, hey, like you still have a man in your inciting incident and he was horrible and like we can't have that. So let's let's change it like th they already had moved beyond that kind of feedback, if that makes sense. Yeah, sure. that's awesome. Absolutely. So talking about wrangling all of these um, creators uh, together um, to hit the various themes of the book, I was curious, can you tell me a little bit about the the various themes and messages that you might be exploring in the in the novel, graphic novel? I think for me, a lot of it is about ambition um, and what we'll do to achieve our ambitions. And I was thinking about this earlier and what makes an exciting character to follow who we love to see. And I actually was thinking about shonen anime and how we love those characters like Naruto or Ishigo or, um, or whomever Luffy, because they go after their ambitions, no matter the cost, they kind of recklessly move forward and, you know, declare their, their statement of what they're going to be doing. And it was the same sort of thing for the women who are in Letter Be Evil with like sort of a dark, a dark turn to it. But I feel I still think it's like about wants and desires and needs in the same way that all good storytelling is about those things. And it was just mm -hmm. capturing that in different different lights. But I think the main message of Letter Be Evil is trying to tell other storytellers hey, like we can have complex, evil, messed up characters who are still enjoyable to follow, even though they're, you know, even though they're women. And I say that because I feel oftentimes when we have a character like that, who's a woman, she's lambasted as the worst character ever. We hate her, how annoying, how wretched. But when we have a male character who does the same sort of things, it's like, oh, what a what a badass, what a right. cool guy, mm -hmm. right? Like, oh, so I want to cool. be, I, yeah, I want to be like that. And so it's right. just kind of funny. So I think the the call to action here, 
you know, the theme is ambition, I think. And the call to action is like, hey, you can you can have you can do it. You can write a character like this. It will be entertaining and it will be fun and it will be just as good. So let's let's get on it because I'm tired of of what we have going on currently. Agreed. Absolutely. Um, well, no, go ahead, Dylan. OK, cool. With um, well, we're like touching on the inspiration a little bit. I know we talked about um, the lack of representation or, you know, this type of character that you want to see. But I was just wondering personally if there's any like specific female villains in pop culture, comics, movies, anything like that, that you mm -hmm. personally love the most or and if so, what like qualities in them do you appreciate? Yeah. Um, one standout for me is probably Carmilla from Sheridan Lofreno's Carmilla <laughs> or uh, even in, um, oh my gosh, what's it called? I'm blanking on it. Castlevania. There we go. Uh, the, the animated series. Love her. Yeah. Yeah. Because, and once again, it's sort of about like that ambition for me, right? Is she's willing to go to whatever end she needs to, to grab the power that should rightfully be, be hers. And all good villains are sort of, you know, they see themselves as as the hero or they want the same things that the hero wants. There's just like sort of that that twist to it. And yeah. um, so she wants like the perfect safe world for her and her vampire coven in the same way that like humans want the perfect safe world for themselves, safe from vampires and and things. This is in Castlevania, not the book. <laughs> right. I mean, um, it could be. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like this book is insane. I've seen the previews. Like it definitely <laughs> could be in this book. Was like way ahead of its time. Yeah. No. Um. And uh, in the book, she's sort of the same kind of thing where she she is desperately trying to, you know, survive and feed and make her way through a world that doesn't want her in it um, and, and doing it through conniving actions and, um, and and that kind of thing. So, yeah, she's a she's a real standout for me. And she doesn't in either in either medium have something where a massive amount of of, you know, pain due to due to like an assault or a miscarriage or something is like right. forced on her to make it you know that's the reason why she's so crazy like it, it's, surely it's, something it, has to have happened to yeah right. it, yeah mm -hmm. the, she's hysterical like not nah, just this woman yeah yeah exactly exactly <laughs> and and it steers free from that and for that i'm i'm grateful that's awesome um so yeah i think we'll we'll wrap it up i have a question for you so as an editor um, as someone who looks at lots of content all the time, mm -hmm. do you, what, so we work in comic book stores, right? And what, what we get all the time is people wanting to break into that industry and wanting to become comic creators. What advice do you have for aspiring comic slash graph, graphic novel creators? Believe that you can do it. I think something that I really had to push through while doing letter be evil was I'm not going to know everything that I have to do. I'm not going to know how to do it. And that's really scary because no one likes to be uncomfortable. No one likes to feel like they don't know what they're talking about or they don't have the answer, but I trusted myself to find that answer. And I think if you feel the same way about yourself and say, Hey, like maybe I don't know anything, but I'm a competent person. I have the ability to research things and crowdsource the the knowledge of people around me and I can do this. That's going to be the thing that pulls you through and makes you a successful creator, whether you end up doing comics or books or whatever it is. Um, yeah, just just have that belief that you're going to figure it out and then move forward from there. That's that's tremendous advice. And yeah. I think that's something that everybody can can adhere to, not even 
in creativity, just in everything in your life. You, if you just believe that you are resourceful enough to, to get it done, that's, that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So before we wrap, wrap up, um, Cassandra, where can people find you uh, online? Oh, good question. Um, so on Twitter, my handle is at Cass with two S's, C-A-S-S, Ann, A-N-N, Jones. And then on Blue Sky, let me oh, pull that lucky. up really fast. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't gotten on Blue Sky yet. I've, I'm still waiting on that invite. Oh, I have some. <laughs> if you want, if oh, you want I mean, one, I can, I can send some to you. I don't know what to do with them. Okay. It's right. Sir Cass, S-E-R, like a knight, S-E-R, Cass, C-A-S, dot Blue Sky, dot social. That's awesome. Um, well, if you're interested, as you should be, in Let Her Be Evil, mm-hmm. the Zoop is still crowdfunding. It will also be available at all Bedrock City locations um, whenever the book is ready for shipping. And Kes, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you a lot. Yeah, yeah. thank you so much for having me. Bye. All right. Hopefully we'll have you on uh, another time on your next project. Oh, yeah. I would, I would love that. We'll see what I do next. I don't know. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. Okay, thank thanks. you. And there you have it. Thank you again so much to Cassandra for joining us. Uh, Dylan and I on this interview. It was a ton of fun. Happy to have her on. Yeah, it's really great. Um, And go check out that Zoop. There's a bunch of preview pages on there. Uh, It's worth worth taking a look at. But anyway, um, let's hear about those tabletop events. Now it's time to give you the rundown on all of the awesome upcoming tabletop events for the month of July. All exact dates and formats can be found on our Discord server. Kicking it off with Keyforge, we run two events a month at our Clear Lake location from 7pm till around 9. Keyforge is the perfect game for casual and hardcore card game players. We also love our role-playing games. Once a month at our Clear Lake store, we host an in-store one-shot RPG for players of all skill levels. Players don't need to bring anything. All play materials, dice, pencils, and character sheets will be provided. There is no entry fee. However, we do ask that you make a purchase of any size from the gaming department on the day of the event. Seats are very limited, and sign-ups are only open for about three weeks before the event. And of course, I can't forget about Paint Club. Every month we get together and paint some tabletop RPG miniatures. These events are for painters of all skill levels, including none. These events occur at Arcady and Clear Lake locations. We'll see you at the game tables. And we are back. And before we get to our review, we're going to do our pick of the week. And I am going to go first. And I'm picking something from Titan Comics, Dylan. Ooh. Yes. Blitmap number one. It is a new sci-fi series set in a breathtaking solar punk metropolis. Um, it has really, really great art, and it comes every issue comes in a foil poly bag or a foil uh, blind bag with Ooh. different cover in each one, so you don't know what you're going to get. That makes it and, fun, and the and the art is super cool. So go check out Blitmap. I am picking Captain Marvel number one. This is a new reboot with a new writer, Alyssa Wong. With art by and Bart, Bart, Bart. Who who did the Bart? With Bart by Jan uh, Bazaldua. Oh, okay, Bazaldua. and then um, there's a 
little like second pick I wanted to add that James Tinian, writer of Something Killing Something's Killing Children, has a Dracula book that I oh. want to read, but I haven't read yet. But it does look good. It does yeah, look good. I have not read it either. But anyway, so let's get to our review for The Angry Black Girl and Her Monster, directed by Bamani J. Story. This is his first film, I'm pretty certain. First feature film, it anyway. Um, anyway, so as a warning, uh, there will be spoilers for this movie. Um, there is stuff to spoil, so if you care about that, um, tune out now. All right, that's it. So we've been talking about this movie for a while. We Well, not that long. We we talked about a trailer, I want to say, a month uh, or two ago. Uh, it's a Shutter original, or Shutter exclusive, I should say. Um, and that, that, that label carries a lot of baggage with it sometimes. So, um, but the trailer for this one, cause shutter like cranks out originals. There's just always a new, every week there's like a couple new ones. It's the and, hallmark of horror. Yes. And they <laughs> are and much like hallmark. It is not the shutter name is not necessarily a hallmark of quality. Mm-hmm. I see what you did there. Yes. Uh-huh. Thank you. I get, I'm a professional. Um, anyway, so this is a modern retelling of the Frankenstein story for those that are not aware. Um, and I remember being very excited about this trailer, Dylan, uh, and therefore very excited about this movie. What, what, what was your hype level like for this? Um, I probably wouldn't have known about it had you not talked about the trailer here, but I, I think we both thought the trailer looked, looked pretty solid. So I was looking forward to it as well. I don't have Shutter, or I didn't have Shutter before this week so um it wasn't advertised to me but of course yeah sure yeah i was i was very much looking forward to it um but you kind of with shutter original trailers you really got to sort of read the tea leaves and navigate them a little bit because they will sell you a bill of goods a lot of the time and then you watch it and you go this sucks this is really not that not that good at all so that is a that I is feel a, like, i feel like with shutter it's like it's wise to let other people watch it first sometimes absolutely the feel yeah absolutely anyway let's talk about this so like i said it's written directed by uh, bamani j story um starring a bunch of people that i don't know um the, but the main character is played by um leia Delion hayes she's playing mm-hmm. the uh vicaria the main character and then there's a bunch of other people that i don't know i don't know do you know anybody in this movie i see someone named denzel whitaker is I... there a relation or no I have no idea. Maybe <laughs> you got me on that one. Um, but he was in training day, apparently. Ironically enough. Uh, but anyway, you can look into that. So, um, yeah, this is a movie about a young girl who is in high school and her brother is uh, getting or has got before the start of the movie. Her brother's gotten involved with the wrong crowd, uh, starts gangbanging, doing the whole thing and then gets killed. And she has the belief that death is a disease and can be cured. And she's this brilliant uh, girl who's going to public school or private school, maybe, and is trying constantly to research um, death and cancers and things like that. And Mm -hmm. her nickname is the Mad Scientist. Um, So let's first talk about the performances. Um, Yeah, I think the main person in the movie, Leia uh, DeLeon Hayes was pretty Mm -hmm. good. I think she made the movie. I think the movie has a lot of flaws. Um, I enjoy on the whole, I did enjoy it, but I think her performance made it 
um, definitely more watchable than it would have been otherwise. I agree. Uh, I think she carried it not only because she likes the main character, but it definitely would live and die on her performance, in my opinion. And um, I don't know. It's an easy role to be annoying, like a precocious scientist child, you know, like that could be... It could be. We don't want. We don't want to fall into like Dexter territory, you know. But she like right. pulled it off so well, and I don't know. She's really charismatic, and like her motivations were really understandable, and her reactions to things were like very appropriate, you know. I I thought she was really good. I I hope to see her in more stuff. I don't know if she Me has too. been. She, in a she's lot been of in things, kid but... stuff. She's been in like Doc McStuffins, and you know, okay. Um, hey, hey Arnold, hey Arnold, and a lot of kid stuff. Okay. Um, she was a voice in uh, God of War Ragnarok, apparently. But anyway, um, so she definitely was pretty good. Um, and then getting on to the directing. So obviously this is a first time director. And I think if we're... Comp- so he wrote and directed this movie. I think the directing is a lot stronger than the writing. Um, I think the writing was probably one of the weaker parts of the movie. Um while I did enjoy the story and everything, I thought there was a lot of cliche and um, like sort of obvious dialogue. You know what I mean? Like very like predictable and not in a, not in a great way. Yeah, I would completely agree. I thought it was like shot really well and it was really pretty to look at. Yes. It was like definitely elevated shutter. Yes. if this cinematography style was on the big screen, I don't think anyone would complain about it. It looks good, you know? Right. Um, there was interesting but, shot compositions too. Like there was, I, I thought it, it looked really good, but yeah, you were saying. I thought like in terms of like directing specifically, I don't know if it, it seemed like at some points they were going for scary and mm-hmm. like you and I already don't really get scared by movies like this, but like, I, I think some of the the scares, quote scares, were not effective. Um and then Right. I agree with you completely about the the story itself. Um it like definitely fell into some of the conventional traps that a lot of horror movies fall into. It did. Like um there were just some things that there was no reason for it, you know, like it almost became like a little bit of a slasher, which not a slasher, but a I, I like like a a creature feature kind of yeah, yeah. It, it was really gory in some parts unexplainably like why did this just get so violent all of a sudden it didn't feel like that type of a vibe I was right. expecting like, an introspective type of picture agreed and it started off that way I thought it like really the first did. half hour I was like extremely invested um basically in her relationship with her community and her generational trauma and like you know what she was going through in school and like that was just so interesting to me but then once it became more of the a monster like it didn't it didn't like click as well with me because there it, it seemed like it had less to say at that point but yeah i don't know some things just felt a little arbitrary too like the little girl being so creepy like right there was no didn't reason to that be... didn't make any sense agreed yeah um but that that being said um so, so well, you know what? Continuing on kind of negative things. Uh, some of the effects were pretty poor too. Um, you could tell they didn't have a lot of money. The lightning. Yeah. Well, yeah, the lightning. Um, so there's one part very early on where there's a piece of gore or meat or something on the ground 
and this is a shutter hallmark, just bad VFX, but there's supposed to be flies buzzing around it to tell you what it is. And those were the worst looking flies I've ever seen. It was definitely some PlayStation flies. Um, <laughs> and yeah, like Dylan said, the lightning, um, the gore effects weren't even all that great, but they were done. A lot of them were done in like extreme close up, So you couldn't even really, I mean, that may, I get it. Like you don't have the money and, but there were definitely yeah. a lot of effects that you could, you, you could see the budget there. You couldn't otherwise, like it looked, it, it looked like a Hollywood picture when they Agreed. weren't trying to do VFX. It, it looked expensive ish. You know what I mean? It was framed well, shot well, lit well. But all the effects were just poor. I think it may have been like a little bit more. I might have been a little bit more invested if they had. I'm not saying like make the monster or, you know, it's her brother, uh, Chris, um, like completely like aware and sentient. But if they had maybe like highlighted their relationship a little bit more. uh, Right. It just like immediately is like, oh, he's gone. He's a monster. You know, it was like it wasn't. There was no inner turmoil, I thought, really. They, a little bit towards like the very, very end, but he was just out to kill everyone. <laughs> you know, it wasn't right. like... Right, it oh, was weird. Yeah, it wasn't nuanced, and, is what I'm trying to say. And I guess I didn't... We didn't specifically say that the plot of the movie is her resurrecting her dead brother. She is Victor Frankenstein in this uh, scenario. Um, right. And she's been stealing um, dead, dead bodies to graft onto him to make him come back and doing all this stuff um let's on the whole talk about it though i did i did enjoy this i think this movie is worth watching um i did enjoy myself but like it does get kind of campy or not campy kind of hokey at the end and it i feel like it loses its like dylan said like it was really introspective in the first 30 minutes of the movie and then when it became a creature feature it lost a lot of that um and i think it's it's interesting because I I really thought I knew where this movie was gonna go, and it didn't do that at all. Like I thought we were gonna get like really strong socio political statements towards the end of the movie, and that's really not what it was. It became a monster movie. Yeah, agreed. It was just like an interesting turn midway through. Not the movie. not that you have to make a strong socio political statement or whatever, but like that's what I thought. That that was the read I had. Well, you know, that's from what the trailer. It teed up also in the right. first third of the movie you know like with her like struggling in school and stuff like right. that um i feel like it sets it up a bit but it's still even like at its worst it was still like a fine watch in my opinion you absolutely know? like yes it's 92 the, minutes like yeah it's, it's short like, yes compared to the beginning it, it does like like get a little bit worse but it's still like not something i think and would would regret turning on and watching, you know. I think it's so right. good. Absolutely. Same same here. I think it is definitely worth your time, worth checking out for sure. I don't know if it's worth itself getting the shutter sub for the month, but there's enough on shutter that you can maybe steer you can clear of most. Too. You can. Uh yeah. steer clear of most of the shutter originals. There's some good ones. Um, but they have a huge back catalog of really good stuff on there. Um but so let's rate it. We we rate our films on the letterbox scale, which is 0.5 to 5. Uh, I am clocking in at, according to Shutter, my most given score, 3.5. Nice. Yeah. That is my most given score. I am going to give it a 3. A Slightly three. lower, but still, you know, a 
like a decent score. Good, uh, a good watch. I think, uh, I think even if you're paying a few bucks to rent it, it, it'd definitely be worth it, especially during the spooky season. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and if you want to pregame with us, we don't normally, we don't always do it like this, but next week we're going to be watching uh, something on Screenbox. So if you want to get ready for Screenbox, um, we're watching Door. We've talked about that a couple of times already. So watch that. It came out today as of this recording. So not enough time for us to record and watch. But uh, next week we'll be talking about the 1988 lost Japanese home invasion slasher Door. Um, but anyway, that's going to do it for us this week. Thank you all so much for downloading us. We really appreciate all the support. Thanks, everyone. This is Dylan. And I'm Michael. We'll see you next time. Thanks for sticking around for the mid-credits. We can tell you've been trained well. If you want to help us out, please go over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. It'll really help new people find the show, and it will help us to get Rotten Tomatoes verified so we can start affecting those rankings. Then, check out our socials. We're BRC Uncanny on Twitter, Uncanny Universe on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you online.